Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. As we continue our journey through the book of Mark, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 2. And just a reminder of what's happened up to this point <coughs> in the book of Mark. We've seen that uh, Jesus has come, and he's been doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, he is shattering the religion of the day, doing all kinds of crazy stuff that people just don't understand, like touching lepers and making them whole and clean and making the blind to see and the deaf to hear. He's been casting out demons and forgiving sins of those who trust in him, and he's been preaching the gospel to the poor. He's been eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. He is shattering the self-righteous religious beliefs of the day. And he's just dealt with this issue of fasting for religious purposes. We saw that earlier in Mark chapter 2. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, the disciples of John and the Pharisees challenged Jesus, and they challenged him and his disciples, asking him, Why do you not fast? they asked him. And he answers with great directness and clarity and helps them to see that fasting isn't just about religion and ritual. It's about a hunger for God. And, hey, there's no need to fast right now because God is here, <laughs> he tells them. And now his teaching continues. And this time it is the topic of the Sabbath day, that special day set aside by God in the Ten Commandments for man to rest and enjoy fellowship with God. That day was a special day to be holy, set aside for rest and for worship. But as was their practice, the Pharisees and religious leaders of that day had corrupted the Sabbath. They had turned the Sabbath from a blessing to a burden. And Jesus is now here on the scene to set them straight once again. And I love that about Jesus. You know, I just am so thankful that our Savior is not a taskmaster. You know, so many religions of the world have their rules and their precepts and their regulations and their tasks. They're just taskmasters for people. And you've got to do all this exactly right or you better, you're in big trouble. And man, that's not how Jesus approaches any of this. And so he's here to set them straight on their thinking about the Sabbath. And we're going to see in our text today... There's really one teaching concerning the Sabbath, and it's put forth in two different situations here at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. The first situation deals with Jesus and his disciples, and then the second is going to deal with Jesus healing a man uh, in the synagogue. <clears throat> and both situations point out the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts and contrast that with the compassion and mercy that's at the heart of God. And so let's look at Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23, and we'll see the first situation here with Jesus and his disciples. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23, says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he, Jesus, said to them, <clears throat> Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? 
he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so let's pause here and dig into this section of the text. We see here the Pharisees challenging Jesus and his disciples concerning their behavior, what they're doing on the Sabbath day. And there's a connection here in Mark between the teaching on fasting in the previous paragraph and his teaching on the Sabbath now. He had just described Jesus as emphasizing that those who are living in his very presence should be feasting instead of fasting, rejoicing rather than mourning. And Mark now pictures the master, Jesus Christ, as showing that this behavior of gladness instead of sadness, should characterize even how the Sabbath is observed. Now, let's talk about what the Sabbath day is. Some of you may be wondering, what is, what is the Sabbath day? What is he talking about? The Sabbath day was instituted by God in the Ten Commandments. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 20. I'll just read Exodus 20, 8 through 11 now. You can find it right there in that passage. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That's the traveler who is with you. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the commandment. So the Sabbath day is on a Saturday for the Jewish people. Sunday is considered the first day of the week. The Sabbath would be the seventh day. So the Sabbath is on Saturday for the Jewish people. So as a Christian believer, don't get this mixed up, thinking that, you know, You're keeping the Sabbath by coming to church on Sunday morning. Don't combine those two things. That's not what's happening. I I hear so many pastors mix that up and churches thinking that. that, That's not what's happening. You are not keeping the the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments by coming to church on Sunday. No. If if you want to be legalistic about keeping the Sabbath, you better be doing that on a Saturday because that's the Sabbath day. So just be clear with that. Don't get that mixed up. It's just not true. And we read in Exodus all that God required on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended to be a day of rest and fellowship with God. The Sabbath was intended to be a day to be enjoyed. So be careful not to become legalistic like the Pharisees concerning how someone should keep the Sabbath. Be careful with that. We see that Jesus clearly was not happy about the way the religious leaders of the day were acting about it, and he corrects them. Now, the religious leaders of the day had taken the the commandment in the Ten Commandments that we just read in Exodus, and they thought that just wasn't enough. 
<clears throat> they had drawn up a catalog of 39 main works. And then they subdivided that catalog of 39 main works into six minor categories under each of the 39, all of which were forbidden to do on the Sabbath. So if you do the math, that's 234 documented things you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Now, who could keep up with all that? <laughs> they didn't even have smartphones to have the list, you know? Pull it out of your pocket. Oh, make sure I'm not violating that one. And so they had 239 written things that could not be done out of what God had said. You know, basically, don't work. <clears throat> I don't want you working on the Sabbath. I want you to just set aside that day to rest and enjoy fellowship with me, God. Because he knows our hearts. We're, we're restless in our souls. We'll just keep working and working and working and working and working forever and never rest, never, never reflect on him. And so he knows that about us. And so he modeled this for us. I need you to take a day and just rest. Find rest for your souls and have fellowship with me on this Sabbath day. <clears throat> it was intended to be enjoyed, to be a blessing to our lives, not the burden the Pharisees had made it into. And all these 234 documented things were all man-made, by the way. They made these things up. They were not written in God's law. None of them had to do really with the heart of why God created the Sabbath for man in the first place. And what the disciples were doing here, back in Mark chapter 2, in no way violated the law of God. What was happening was that Christ's enemies were burying the real law of God, which didn't in, in no way forbid what the disciples were doing. They were burying the real law of God under this mountain of their man-made foolish traditions. And boy, we're so prone to do that. So be careful not to do that in your own heart. And the situation here is Jesus and his disciples, they're eating grain in the grain fields as they're on their journey. So, you know, they're walking in those days. They didn't have cars or anything like that. So they're walking and they get hungry. They see wheat growing in the field and they start plucking some of the heads of the wheat off just to have a snack because they're hungry. Simple as that. They were not violating the law of God in doing this, and they were doing it on the Sabbath, by the way, which is so offensive to the Pharisees. And we can see here there's the story of David and his companions. And so as we read through the New Testament, we can see echoes of the Old Testament coming forth. And here we see an echo of Jesus and his disciples paralleled with David and his companions. And he even tells, uh, he teaches the Pharisees based on the story of David and his companions. The account of David and his companions that Jesus quotes is found in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. And so they challenge Jesus, say, look here. They're even very direct. You know, look here, Jesus. What are you doing? Why are you eating like that? That's wrong. You can't do that. And so he, he, he points them to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he says, have you never read? I love his responses. As if to say, hey, you religious leaders, you pride yourselves in being the very people who uphold the law and teach your own doctrine to others. Do you not understand the fact that this very law allowed its, its ceremonial restrictions to be ignored in times of need or in cases of need? Have you not read about David and his companions in the showbread? You should know this. 
And so he's referencing the consecrated bread when it says the show bread. This is the bread of the presence. So just some context here. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 25. This show bread that he's talking about <clears throat> that David and his companions ate, it consisted of 12 loaves. They were placed on a table. The table was overlaid with pure gold, surrounded by a molding of gold, and it was equipped with four rings of gold at its corners, and they put poles through the rings so it could be carried because they can't touch that table. It's holy. And you can find all about that. It's very well described in the book of Exodus chapter 25. And in ancient times, this table was standing in the holy place, not far away from God's special dwelling place, the holy of holies, and the showbread was laid on the table in two rows. The 12 loaves represented Israel's 12 tribes and symbolized the constant fellowship of the people with their God. And the Israelites were, so to say, guests at God's table. And they were consecrated to him. And by means of the offering of these presentation loaves, they gratefully acknowledged their indebtedness to him. And so every Sabbath day, the old bread was exchanged for fresh loaves. They would change it out every Sabbath day. And the old loaves were eaten by the priests. They were for Aaron and his sons. You can read about that in Leviticus 24. So they were for the priesthood. They were not for everyone. They were consecrated as holy. People just couldn't show up to the tabernacle or the temple and say, hey, can I have some of that leftover bread? Uh, that's, not, that's not how it went. They were for the priests only. Yet when in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, hungry David entered the house of God, he's very hungry. You can read about that in 1 Samuel and Judges and Kings. He went to the house of God, which was the shrine where the ark was kept, and he was given the consecrated bread. He asked the high priest, oh, do you have anything to eat here? And the high priest says, no, all I have is the, the, the show bread, the bread of the presence. And they have this dialogue about that, and, and the, the priest gives the bread to David. They were literally about to starve to death. And so he eats the bread. He and his companions all eat of the bread. Even though, by divine law, it had been designated as food for the priests, for the priests alone. And the point Jesus makes is this. Look, if David had a right to ignore the divinely ordained ceremonial provision when he was in a time of need, then would not Jesus, God's anointed in a far more eminent sense than David, have the right when he was in need and his companions were in need to set aside all your Pharisees laws and regulations, your own man-made laws, would not Jesus have the right to set that aside when his companions were in need? And so he points that out to them. He's saying, look, what we're doing is legitimate. There's nothing wrong with my disciples eating the heads of grain. Even De Deuteronomy 23 said there's nothing wrong with that. As long as a traveler did not thrust a sickle into the man's standing grain, he was permitted to peck the heads of grain off the, the wheat and eat. There's so much wheat. I mean, how much can one person eat by plucking it off? As long as you don't take the sickle to it, it's fine. No law is being broken here. And so what he's really pointing to is he's getting to the heart of things here. He's, he's teaching them that, look, human needs, 
human needs should take precedence over ceremonial laws. Human needs should take precedence over ceremonial laws. Now, this account is given in all the synoptic gospels. Remember, synoptic means same eyes. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, they give, this, they give an account of this. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 11. And I thought it was interesting as I'm preparing for this. I look in Matthew uh, chapter 12, actually, and then I back up a little bit to Matthew chapter 11 in the end of that. And I notice this verse, this set of verses in Matthew 11, starting at 28, just before this teaching on the Sabbath. And Jesus says this. <clears throat> he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so you see those words, and that's just the heart of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who have been working for your salvation, all of you who have been under the burden of the Pharisees and the law and works, and feeling that burden of your sins weighed down on your souls, come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Trust in me and you'll find rest for your weary souls. And then we see these texts concerning the Sabbath and rest and Rest in the Lord. And so he sets that up, saying, come to me. I'm, I'm where you're going to find rest for your souls, by faith in me. And Matthew's account of this story also adds this. Um, he says, have you not read in the law, Jesus says, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, because the priests work. <laughs> you know, the priests work on the Sabbath, and they're not held guilty, for doing their work. I tell you, Jesus says, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, and he quotes Micah 6.6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And I love how Matthew quotes that right in there. He puts Jesus, Jesus quotes Micah 6.6 6 right in there. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So I want, I want you to feel this this morning. I want you to feel the heart of God in these verses. You know, we could get into all the technicalities of the Sabbath and how it should be kept and what the, what the law said and all those things. And those are all important teachings. But I want you to come away from this text knowing what the heart of God is. And it's mercy. It's compassion. Not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus gets right to the heart of God here. God desires love, mercy, compassion, and grace. Not ritual, religion, sacrifice, and works. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just beautiful? 
know, there's, there's no end to the number of places you could show up to for a, uh, you know, a religious meeting, and they'll give you a whole long list of things you've got to do to be right with God. And you'll leave from that place thinking, yes, I, I got the list now. I'll go do the list. And then you won't even get a couple days into the week and you won't be able to do the list. And you just keep getting beaten down and beaten down and beaten down by the ritual and religion and sacrifice and works. It's, there's no freedom there. It's bondage. And Jesus cuts right through all that. He said, I desire mercy, love, compassion, grace, faith, not sacrifice. Remember that. The Sabbath was made for man to find rest for his soul in God. And that perfect rest is ultimately found in Jesus himself. Remember what Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will do it. So, Abstaining from movement isn't what the Sabbath is all about. You know, the Pharisees would have you lay there like this, you know, like, oh, you better not lift a finger. Remember, they didn't even want the guy to, that was healed to pick up his mat. Oh, you picked up your mat. You broke the Sabbath. That guy just got healed. He couldn't walk. He was paralytic. And you, you're going to do that to him? You can't pick up your mat? I mean, you couldn't do anything. You just lay there motionless and silent. It's awful. The Sabbath isn't about abstaining from movement. It's about resting in Jesus. And that's why Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. He's been proving he's Lord of everything, right? He can cast out demons. He can heal the sick. All these wonderful things he's doing, you know, he's, he can calm the wind and the waves. They even obey him. He's proving he's Lord of everything. And now he says the Son of Man's even Lord of the Sabbath. So don't tell me, Pharisees, <laughs> about what to do on the Sabbath. And think about it this way. You know, I was, I was, I was praying through this and, and studying this. I'm like, what if, what if this whole situation had turned? What if the Pharisees had noticed the hunger of the disciples and offered them a meal? You ever thought about that? Wow. I mean, that's this whole thing turned around, right? Turned upside down. Oh, I see those guys. They must be really hungry. Look, they're so hungry, they're plucking the heads of the grain off in the field. Let's make them, some, let's make them lunch. Whoa. <laughs> wow, okay. Isn't that kind of how it should be in our lives? Why is it so hard to see the world like that? You know, we point fingers at the Pharisees, but we do the same thing. We do the same thing. <clears throat> we, we are so quick to judge and have pride in our hearts. Oh, they ought not to be doing that. Instead, let's, let's look past maybe the behavior that's annoying us into the heart and try to understand what's motivating that behavior that's annoying us and see through into the heart. And maybe we'll see a need in there that we could, we could actually work to meet and offer help and grace and mercy and compassion instead of judging and condemning. We have experiences like that every day. Most of us just don't have eyes to see them. You know, and I'm ashamed to say the older we get, the older I get, the more hardened my heart becomes. And I walk right past that beggar on the street. I don't want to be bothered with him or her. 
instead of trying to, well, what's the need here? Maybe I don't have to give them money because maybe they'll use that for something bad, but maybe they're hungry. Maybe I can offer them food. And if they take it, that's up to them. But not be so quick to judge and condemn. That's just one example. We have experiences like this every day. Most of us just don't have the eyes to see them. Because why? Our nature is to well up with pride and condemn and judge others, isn't it? Rather than seek to understand them and help them. And so let's, let's lean into the heart of God in this one, church. Let's pray and ask Jesus to help us see how to have the Sabbath rest for him in our souls. And let's be careful not to judge others because they don't observe the Sabbath in the same way we think they ought to. Right here, you know, concerning the Sabbath specifically. And just in our, our lives, you know, we see a behavior we don't understand. Let's be quick not to condemn and to judge. Let's not be quick to condemn and to judge. Let's be quick to have compassion and mercy and love. So that's the first situation. David and his companions, his disciples in the field. And then we see another situation which gives us further teaching on the Sabbath in Mark chapter 3. Mark uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. So let's, let's take a look at that. Again, he entered the synagogue, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And a man was standing, or a man was there, with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so you can imagine the scene. Jesus comes in. He walks into the synagogue, and all the eyes are on Jesus. They see, oh, well, there's the guy with the withered hand. Oh, there's Jesus. We know what Jesus likes to do. Let's see what, let's see what he does here. Is he going to heal this guy on the Sabbath so we can accuse him? Oh, I hope he does. You know, all this stuff's going on in their minds. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, verse 3, Come here. And he said to them, so he looks out on all the people in the synagogue, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So now they want to kill him. And so this is a test on both sides, really, this account. It's the Pharisees versus Jesus, the synagogue smackdown. This is a test on both sides. You can just imagine the scene. The Pharisees test Jesus to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. We know this guy heals on the Sabbath, and he's going to come in here and do it again. And they're just all riled up and angry. Now, can you even fathom that thinking? How would they get that far? Like, oh, how dare he heal that man <laughs> on the Sabbath? He needs to wait till tomorrow. Seriously? How did it get to that point in their hearts? Terrible. And then Jesus is testing the Pharisees to see if the hardness of their hearts will condemn him. And both things happen. And Jesus' question cuts straight to the point. So he knows this is a test. He calls the man up in front of everyone. 
And he looks right at everyone. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Cut straight to the point. And Matthew 12 adds this. He says, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, he says. The answer is obvious. The answer is obvious. And the Pharisees, they remain silent. They don't give him an answer. The whole room's quiet. And in their hearts, they were doing harm to Jesus. Because he asked them, is it, is it right to do good or to do harm? In their hearts, they are killing him. Even on the Sabbath. They're so far gone against him, they actually condemn him and seek to kill Jesus as a result of his act of healing. It's just unimaginable. And the hardness of the Pharisee's heart here, you can see the echoes of the Old Testament coming forth in this too. There's echoes of the Old Testament, you know, when Pharaoh's heart concerning the Israelites in Egypt. Pharaoh's heart was continually hardened against Moses and the Israelites. And so you see those echoes of the Old Testament come forth in this account. The Pharisee's heart is continually hard against Jesus, and they want to kill him. And it's amazing that the Pharisees valued man-made ritualism above God-ordained concern about this lame man's welfare. And so, if, you know, if they were going to follow the rabbinical rules strictly, there would be no healing on the Sabbath. No healing and happiness for a human being can occur on the Sabbath. None of that. <laughs> no healing and happiness allowed. And then again, you can see the heart of God in Jesus, right? You can see the heart of God here. He sympathized with the handicapped person. He saw the need and once again shows it's right to do good on the Sabbath, even if it involves a little bit of work. (laughs) It's right to do good on the Sabbath. And I think it's interesting in verse 5. It says, Jesus was angry with them. He's angry with those cold-hearted legalists. You want to know what makes Jesus angry? Cold-hearted legalism makes Jesus angry. So many accounts we read of Jesus in his ministry. He's with tax collectors. He's with the, you know, the, adult, the adulterous woman. They want to pick up and throw stones at her. and you know, All of these so-called sinners that he's with, none of those people are making him angry. The accounts where Jesus is angry is with the cold-hearted legalists or those who are in the temple profiting from religion. That's what makes Jesus angry. And so he has righteous anger against these Pharisees. But even his anger was tempered by grief. Right after we see that he was angry, he was deeply grieved at their hardening of their hearts. And the verb tenses in the original Greek, you can see this, the anger was momentarily. It was just for a moment, the anger. But the grief is continuous. It's abiding. It grieves the heart of God. 
when we have cold-hearted legalism in our souls, in our hearts. And so Jesus, he heals the man, and the man is healed instantly and completely. No further treatments necessary. No checkups required. Hands working again perfectly, like it was never, never paralyzed, never injured. And Jesus, you know, he could have done this off to the side, right? He could have said, oh, man, I see your hands kind of messed up. Let's, let's go over here where these Pharisees can't see us, and I won't get in any trouble or anything. You know, these guys cause problems for me everywhere I go. <laughs> let's go over here in the corner, and I'll, I'll take care of your hand. Or he could have even said, oh, your hand's better, by the way. Oh, it is. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Now, don't, keep, keep it on the down low, you know. These guys give me trouble. <laughs> None of that. Now, he knew what was going on. He's like, right out here in the middle, he takes the elephant in the room, puts him, bang, right in the middle of the table. Let's get it right out here in front of everybody. He wanted to teach them about, you know, how their, what their thinking was so wrong. He wants them to see the heart of God concerning the Sabbath. So he heals the man right in the face of all his opponents, not hiding it from anyone. And so we can see here, you know, the result. The Pharisees are so furious, so intent on killing Jesus, they sought out even their own enemies, the Herodians. So a little background on the Herodians. You know, the, these were the, the, uh, the ruling uh, king and his family in that region. And the Pharisees, they were not friends with the Herodians at all. But hey, they'll do anything to kill Jesus. And so they need some help here. They're gonna, so they go partner up with the Herodians and counsel together on how they're going to how they're going to kill Jesus, because, you know, Jesus is making a lot of enemies here. He's made enemies of the religious leaders, the ruling family, you know, all the important people hate him, and they want him dead at, at this point. And so the Pharisees are so furious, so intent on killing him, they even seek out their own enemies, the Herodians, and they partner together with them and work on a way to kill Jesus, you know, of all the people. So, you know, these Holy, righteous Pharisees, they go seek out the unholy, worldly followers of Herod and his family. Just the whole thing's upside down. It makes no sense at all. But anything to get rid of Jesus, right? <clears throat> and so once again, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. And this time, it's the teaching concerning the Sabbath. So remember this as we, you know, leave from here today. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made as a day to be set aside to find rest for our souls in the Lord. And each of us are led by the Lord in different ways to do just that. And so let's seek the Lord in that. And let's lean into the heart of God and seek the fellowship and rest and good that we can have in Christ. And remember that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And let's look for the needs of others instead of being so quick to judge and condemn. Let's, let's seek to understand them and show compassion and mercy in times of need that we might be a help. For it is right to do good on the Sabbath. <laughs> it is right to do good. And in Jesus we'll find rest for our souls. And so let's all come to Jesus and with hearts of love and mercy and compassion help others with weary souls 
to do the same, to find rest for their souls that we have in the Lord Jesus. Amen.